Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning. Can, can I ask you all a favor? Yes? Maybe? Can this state stop acting like Ohio? I don't want any more snow. Our children's pastor, Hillary, came into the offices uh, before the snow came, and she was like, it's going to snow. I said, you said it wrong. <laughs> Us northerners say, it's going to snow. Uh, and that's, that's what I feel like. I, you know, I was told that Tulsa doesn't get any snow, really. We've gotten a lot of snow since I've been here, so I would like, we, we thought we left Ohio behind. I would like to leave the snow behind. But just like some other things that we kind of feel like we've left behind that remind us that they're still around, for me, snow, uh, the pandemic. The pandemic does this to us. We kind of feel like we've gotten through, and yet at times it jumps back into our lives in frustrating ways. It reminds us, you know, it's, we're still in one. We're still dealing with some stuff. And although there are so many negative effects of the pandemic, including suffering, pain, and great loss, I mean, you all know these effects, I think we all were kind of hoping that a silver lining of all of this might be that it would force us to slow down, that we wouldn't be able to do our day-to-day like our day-to-day, and maybe we would adopt some different rhythms. Maybe we wouldn't bring everything back into our schedule the way that it was before. Maybe it would let us hit a reset button. I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't learn my lesson. Uh, It doesn't feel like I've learned how to slow down. In fact, somehow I feel a bit busier than I've ever felt. And that's been making me wonder, do I have an addiction to hurry? And it's been making our staff ask the same type of question. Do us as Americans, do we have an addiction to hurry? Then as we were pondering this, we came across a book by uh, John Mark Comer. He's an author and a pastor called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the content in that book inspired this series that we're going to be doing called Unhurry. Now, don't worry, this is not a book study. We're not telling you go out, buy the book in order to understand everything we're going to talk about, although we did as a staff find the content to be helpful. So you might want to pick it up and look through it on your own anyway. Uh, But the book did make us reflect in such a way of what what does it mean to adopt a better, more biblical lifestyle? And that's a question that we've been wrestling with. Now, if you happen to be retired... It does not give you permission to take the next four weeks off. Although the series is called Unhurry, what we're really talking about in the next four weeks and laying the foundation for this morning is about adopting a God-honoring way of life. Another way to think about it is a rule of life. And this rule not only helps us to calm the chaos of a busy life, but it also helps us to pull out of boredom or missional lethargy. So let's jump in. Our passage for this morning is Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. We're going to really be 
reading into this passage a lot. So open it up in your Bible or your Bible app. Uh, stay in there with me. We'll, we'll jump through some other verses as well, but we'll have them on the screen for you. By Luke 5, Jesus has already done a lot. He has been baptized by John. He has been tested in the wilderness. He has been rejected in his hometown. He has driven out impure spirits. He's healed a lot of people, and he has already called his disciples. Jesus has been up to a lot. And let me read the passage for us. I think we're caught up. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This passage teaches us a lot about how Jesus chose to live his life. And it kind of covers what I think are three main important topics. And they're the topics that are going to be guiding our conversation this morning. And those are essential works, managing expectations, and silence and solitude. Essential works, managing expectations, and silence and solitude. Those are our road markers for our conversation this morning. So let's talk about essential works. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when conversation was happening about essential workers? Do you remember this conversation? Uh, when certain jobs were labeled absolutely essential for survival? I don't know about you, uh, but I, I was with many that had this love-hate relationship with that. At one end, we didn't know what the pandemic was about at all yet, and so I absolutely didn't want to go in this mess and be labeled as essential. And yet on the other end, there was a pride part of me that wanted to be known as the backbone of American society, right? That the, the U.S. cannot move and cannot do anything without my job. And so you reach this tension as we talked about essential workers. But what we really did discover is that our healthcare workers are superheroes. They're amazing. Amen, right? What we also discovered are that teachers are superhuman. Yeah, that's, a, that's another good time to applaud. Uh, I know many parents that had their kids and they were doing uh, in-home school that taught us a lot about what education means. And it also taught us that if we had to do this job for a living, they wouldn't make it to adulthood, right? Uh, and so we learned a lot about what it means to be an essential worker. And we did learn a lot about a couple professions that we're so thankful for. But why did it matter so much to many of us whether or not we were on the list of essential workers? I believe it's because we have this link or this hookup between um, who we are and what we do. So what I'm saying is that I believe that we think that who we are is, who we are, is what we do. And what we do is who we are. So if we have that framework in mind, then we define ourselves by the types of things that we do, as, a, as well as how much we're able to accomplish. 
This means that our work needs to be validated by others. It means I absolutely need your validation. I absolutely need you to believe that what I do is essential because it's how I define myself. It's how I define how much I'm worth. So when we do this, people are not just validating our work, they're validating our very existence. And if we work to validate our existence, then we have no other choice than to push ourselves and our families to produce as much as possible, to work all day. I was talking to a friend the other day, and in exhaustion, he talked to me about his schedule. And he shared with me his daily schedule, which looks like this. 5 a.m., workout. 6 a.m., breakfast slash get kids ready for school. 7 a.m., arrive at work. Uh, 5 p.m., come home, load the kids in the car for practice. 7 p.m., cook something or pick up something and eat dinner. 8 p.m., sit with my kids, do homework. 9 p.m., shower my kids, get them ready for bed. 10 o'clock, maybe I got a shower or I might have been too tired. I rolled into bed and I got to hit repeat. Whew, that's a day. Now, we might not have all of the same things in our day, but I think a lot of us can kind of connect with that type of work output in the day, where the alarm goes off at some way too early hour in the morning and then goes until we have nothing left in our tank at night, and then we get to hit the reset button and do it all over again the next day. It's no wonder why he's exhausted. It's no wonder why we get exhausted. That's a lot of output. And it's also no wonder why so many of us get disoriented when we retire. Because within a couple of years, we go to empty nesters, to not working, and we feel this disorientation that happens. Because this has been a pattern that we've been living in our lives for 20 years. It's been a routine. And these things, when we break a long-established pattern, it makes us feel disorienting. So it's disorienting in and of itself to go from empty nesters to retirement in a, in a snap. But also, it's because if we have been filling our life with meaning through our vocations and through our children, then everything that validated who we are is suddenly gone. And that's a very disorienting process. And what can happen then is that we start to experience feelings of worthlessness, and this, these feelings of worthlessness kind of graduate onto some feelings of depression. So how do we trap, or how do we avoid this trap of busyness, of hurry, that leads to feelings of depression? To answer that question, let's look over at Luke 10, 38 through 42. Here's what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Martha was busy doing so many things. 
She even gets frustrated with Mary and says, Jesus, tell her to help me. Yet Mary understood something significant. Mary recognized that she wouldn't always get to spend this time with Jesus. So in the moment, she was going to be present with Jesus, focusing her relationship with Jesus. It did not matter what Martha's expectations were of her, and it did not matter what cultural expectations were of her. She was going to make sure that she spent time with Jesus. Mary's actions remind me of something that an author and pastor by the name of Francis Chan once said. Uh, Ever since I read this book, maybe six, seven years ago, I've been haunted by this one phrase. So, of course, I'm going to pass it along and let you be haunted by it too. He said, Our greatest fear in life should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. I'm going to let that get uncomfortable for a second. I'm going to say it again. Our greatest fear in life should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. Mary and Martha, Mary had a focus on what mattered. Martha was doing a lot of things that she thought mattered, right? Let's take another look at Luke 5, 12 through 13. Did you know that Jesus did some really important things while he was here? Right, we all know this. He did some really important things. So let's take a look at verses 12 and 13 and see one of the important things that Jesus was known for doing. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Jesus had the power to heal people. People were dying every day in Israel due to poverty and limited access to medicines. Every day. People were dying every day. Jesus could have loaded his day, his, full, his, it's his daily schedule, full of healing people. And we would look at that as a very good thing to do. He could have spent all day, he could have woken up at five o'clock in the morning and been healing someone in Israel all day until climbing at bed at 11 o'clock at night and never missing a beat. He would always have had something to do. But he didn't. That is not what he chose to do, which might be a little foreign to us, or it might be a little strange, or we might ask some questions. Why didn't you just spend all the time meeting the need directly in front of you? He, Jesus, had the discipline to not let good things get in the way of his great thing. Jesus had a mission, and he was focused on that mission. If he healed all of Israel's physical sicknesses, then he would not have had time to go on and provide a healing for their soul. He couldn't have done it. He couldn't have done both of these things. He couldn't have spent all of his time healing the need right in front of him and continue on with the mission that God sent him here for. Leadership guru Jim Collins says something similar in his book, Good to Great. There he said, good is the enemy of great. And that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. 
In his own way, Collins is saying something similar to Francis Chan. A big reason why many of us feel hurried and are depressed by that hurry or might be depressed by the absence of that hurry is because we've gotten to a place where we have an addiction to hurry or we've gotten to a place where we've gotten so comfortable or so used to a schedule of doing really good things that we've lost sight of the great thing that God has been calling us to do. So the first thing that we must do to break this cycle of busyness and depression is recognize that our value does not come from what we do, but who we are in Jesus. And that is beloved son or beloved daughter of the Most High God. I'm going to say that again just so that you didn't miss it. If there's anything that you walk away from this morning hearing, please hear this. Your value does not come from what you do, but who you are in Jesus. And that is beloved son or beloved daughter of the Most High God. It does not matter what you do today, good or bad, it will not change the fact that you are a beloved son or a beloved daughter of the Most High God. The next thing that we have to do is to manage expectations. Jesus managed expectations. We see this in verse uh, 15, Luke 5, 15, after Jesus healed the man of leprosy. This is what Luke says. He tells us, crowds of people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sicknesses. That's what Luke tells us. Now, Jesus had two types of expectations to manage. The expectations he put on himself and the expectations that others put on him. First, Jesus managed his own expectations by knowing his mission and his purpose. And he tells us exactly what that is. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus spent time to get really clear about who he is, and what he has come to do. And as he managed his own expectations, it enabled him to manage the expectations of others. In other words, what I'm saying is when Jesus got really clear about who he was and what he came to do, it enabled him to be able to say no to people. It gave him the freedom of clarity to know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And to be able to manage other people's expectations that they had on him. Luke tells us in verse 16 that crowds of people came to him, right? And then you can laugh at this because I don't have another way to, to, to frame this up. There's a big but. There's a big but in Luke 5:16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So here's the setup of this verse. We find, or this passage, we find that Jesus has the power to heal. And he heals a man. He tells him, be quiet about this. And he tells him, be quiet about it because he knows that I can't spend all day healing people. It's not what I've come here to do. Word gets out anyway. So that all of these people start coming to Jesus because they find that they can find healing here. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to be healed by him. So they crowd around him. And then Luke says this. But 
Jesus often withdrew to pray. I found that so curious. Because Jesus was able to stay what we call emotionally differentiated. In other words, what I'm saying is his clarity about his mission gave him the freedom to say no to good things that others expected him to do. So he was able to manage the expectations other people had on him. Like Jesus, if we do all of the good things that our culture tells us that we ought to be involved in, then we will never have time to be involved in the things that we are called to do. If I were to reflect on that list of things that my friend told me, all the different things that he's involved in, what his schedule looks like, I don't look at any of the things on there and say, that's a bad thing. Keeping up with his own personal fitness, that's a good thing. He's going to work, that's a good thing. He's making sure that his kids get a quality education and is helping them with their homework, good thing. Eating, necessary good thing. Getting ready for bed, hygiene, necessary good things. When we look at our schedule, they're full of really good things. And yet, at the same time, we have to wrestle with this tension that we also have a call on our life like Jesus had a call on his life. The nice thing is that we didn't have to sit down and wrestle with what that call is. Paul just comes out and tells us. Paul tells us that we have a mission from God. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, there he says this, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is our mission. Paul says it clearly, to use our gifts and abilities so that others can know the love of God. And it must also be our vision, the lens through which we view all of everything. The lens we put on as soon as we wake up and dictates our day is to use our gifts and abilities so that others can know the love of God. Whether we are in the very depths of busyness or if we are enjoying the leisure of retirement, we will not feel satisfied unless if we are engaging the mission God has for us. The reason is that he's wired it into our very DNA. So it will haunt us. It will disturb us. We will be saying things like, I feel like I was built for more than just this. And the answer is, yes, you were. You're built as an agent for God to declare his glory and to worship him. That's who we are. Notice, though, that I did not say happy, but satisfied. It's not necessarily the place that's going to situate us in our most emotional state of happiness but that we will be able to sit back and go, we know that we partnered with the Holy Spirit to do his great thing. But Jesus is teaching us more than just managing expectations. He is also showing us how to manage those expectations. Instead of doing what people wanted him to do, he withdrew to a lonely place to pray. Why is that important? Because swimming against cultural waters is tiring. We will get tired. As people, we only have so much energy. Jesus only had so much energy. He was fully divine, but he was also fully human. He only had so much output capacity. 
Jesus recharged by withdrawing to places of silence and solitude to pray. His intention was to connect with an unending source of power, namely God the Father. Now the word for lonely places in verse 16 is actually the same word that is translated as wilderness back in Luke 4. So if you remember, Jesus is baptized by John. Heaven's open, a dove descends onto him, and he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Same word. Luke uses the same word that we translate as a couple different things to mean wilderness and lonely place. Deserted lonely place is the gist. Uh, And so Jesus often, even from the very beginning of his ministry, is withdrawing to a very lonely place to be connected with the source of power, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, because he recognizes that he's human and he can only put out so much. I also thought it was striking every time I read Luke chapter 4. A, it was disturbing that the Holy Spirit led him into a place of temptation. I always wrestled with that uh, and go, wow, there's some formative things going on there. But also I thought, you know, the enemy seems to be attacking Jesus, right? Just like he ought to be at his absolute tiredest, the place of most fatigue, the place of the most vulnerability. And the more and more I looked on it, actually I realized that the enemy had a bad strategy. Jesus was connected to the source for 40 days. There was not a worse time that the enemy could have come up and tempted Jesus than this. He had been seeking clarity on who he was as a person, what his mission was, what he ought to be doing with the gifts that he had. He was connected in prayer all day to the unending source of power, so the devil comes up to him to tempt him at the worst possible time, when he was the strongest. And John, Mo- John Mark Comer in the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this profound thing about that moment. He says, the wilderness isn't the place of weakness, it's the place of strength. The wilderness is not the place of weakness, but the place of strength. It's where Jesus was closest to the Father. So it's no accident that Jesus' formal ministry began while praying in a lonely place. Because while we pray in the lonely place, we get intense clarity of our mission. But we also get energized by the unending power source. It's a place of silence and solitude where we are to re-energize, to keep swimming against the cultural waters, against the expectations of others against the expectations we put on ourselves. In the silence and solitude, we are reminded who God is and who he's not. We are reminded about who we are and who we are not. And we are reminded about what is important and what is not. So that if we truly want to do things that matter, to make a difference in our families, our neighborhoods, and our workplace then we will spend time in the lonely place of prayer. We will spend time in silence and solitude praying so that we can draw from the unending power source that is our Father and to take in power, clarity, and focus from the deep wells of God. This morning, we have the opportunity 
to take communion together. In other words, we have the opportunity to practice everything that we've been talking about this morning. In a couple of minutes, Parker and Leanne are going to lead us in some reflective music. And in this time of reflection, I want us to be thinking about a couple of things. I want us to take time to be reflecting on what it is that God has been doing for us. His sacrifice for us. But I also want us to spend time reflecting on our mission. And I want you to think about the day that you go through on your day-to-day when you wake up and when you lay your head on the pillow. I'm sure that you're doing tons of good things. But ask yourself the question, am I involved in the great thing? Am I doing things that matter? While you reflect, I want you to take communion while you're ready and when you're at a place of peace. So I'm going to read us the words of institution from Paul. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's reflect on what God has done for us together. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.